Tonight's reading is from Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 1, which can be found on page 987 in the church Bibles in front of you. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the morning came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Let's keep your Bibles open. Page 987 if you've closed them again. I want to tell you a story about two people. The first person grew up in a Christian home. Loves God with all their hearts. Loved their friends and family too. They were diligent and driven in their studies uh, and went on to have a great career with excellent pay and and therefore able to uh, set up multiple charitable foundations. And then at the end of their long life, they they died peacefully and went to be with their Lord and Savior, Jesus, in heaven. And a second person who spent their life in the complete opposite fashion. They didn't love God. They didn't love their friends or their family. They actually wasted all of their potential. They stole and they lied just to get by in life. And actually ended up into going into crime and committing murder. And then going to prison for the rest of their lives. And at the end of their life, in the final few weeks, whilst they're struggling with a a terminal disease that's about to claim them, someone tells them the gospel. And they repent. And they turn to Jesus. And they die And they go to be with their Lord and Savior, Jesus. Is that fair? Is that fair, God? Is that fair that the man who's lived a rebellious life has been made equal to the man who lived righteously? Your place in the kingdom isn't based on what you've done, your merits, your achievements, your righteousness, but on his terms and on his grace. We've been going through this series in Matthew. Uh, A couple of uh, weeks ago, uh, Stephen spoke on uh, the little children coming to Jesus. 
uh, these little children, they, they were weak and, de- and de- uh, dependent on others. And uh, you can almost imagine the, the disciples saying, Jesus, no, 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 no. The, these little ones, they can't come to you. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let them come. Let these little ones come to me. Almost taking one up in his arms, you can imagine. And then just at that moment, this is Matthew 19 again, a rich young ruler comes up to Jesus, arrogant and assuming, and says, what's that one thing, teacher, I need to get eternal life? I just need one more thing. Can you imagine Jesus still there holding a child, just sort of, you know, looking and saying, well, have you, have you kept the law? And he's like, yes, yes, I've kept the law all my life. And then Jesus says, well, for you, Give away all your things to the poor. And that man is like, and he goes away. He goes away because he can't do that. And in, and Jesus says, this one's far from the kingdom. And the disciples, the disciples, they're gobsmacked. They're like, Jesus, this, this man, we thought he was, you know, the, the, the one to look up to, the first in the kingdom of heaven. All those things going for him. He was sort of rich, had a potential, you know, in front of him, all those, all those years he could be living. Uh, he, he knew the law extremely well. You know, we imagine this is the person who you would say was first. And Jesus was like, no. And Peter steps forward and, and Peter, he says, well, Jesus, you know, we've left everything, everything to follow you. You know, our careers, my boat's rotting on the shoreline. You know, Jesus, this better be worth it. There better be something at the end because, you know, I, I, I profess that you are the son of God. I've already done that earlier. You know, I, I believe you're going to set up your kingdom, Jesus. I'm hoping there's something at the end of this. And Jesus says to Peter, yes, Peter, yes, you, you will be ruling and reigning with me in eternity. And there's going to be many others who are going to leave brothers and sisters to follow me. And they will receive a hundred times for following me. And then we get this verse. Just at the end of, uh, of chapter 19, you can look up and see it. Because it bookends our parable that we see today. End of chapter 19 and the end of the parable. The many who are first will be last. And the many who are last will be first. And Jesus is about to teach them that the kingdom of heaven is far, far different than their expectations and their understandings. It's a completely different kingdom. So tonight we're going to be looking at the king of this kingdom. What's he like? And we're going to look at the currency of his kingdom, which is his grace. So first off, his his right to choose. Waiting for the clicker. Have the next slide, Wendy. There we go. There's a picture of the Joneses. That's my brother and sister, Nathan, Abby, and the handsome one, which is uh, what my wife would say. Uh, growing up in, in our family, we have this great tradition on our birthdays. You see, when we were younger, we, when it was one of, uh, one of our birthdays, we would complain. We would complain and we would whine and complain and whine and would say, it's not fair. How come they're getting presents? And mum and dad would say, it's their birthday. It's not your turn. But we would complain and we would whine and complain and whine. And eventually, mum and dad succumbed to our great childish wisdom. And so, when it was one of my siblings' birthdays, I would get a present too. And so would the other. And that would continue on and on and on. I know what you're thinking. It's, it's terrible morals to be teaching a, killed, uh, to be teaching a child, a child uh, wine till you win. You know. But though complaining got us somewhere, it didn't get somewhere for the workers uh, to be paid first in this parable. Have a look at uh, verse 11. This is the sort of first set of workers. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. 
and said, you have made them equal to us, verse 12, to us who have borne the burden of work in the heat of the day. What's the landowner's response to that? I'm not being unfair. Didn't I agree to, for you to work for a denarius? That's a, a, day's, a day's wage. Look at verse 15. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? You see, these workers who were paid at the beginning of the day, they're unhappy. They want him to break that contract that they agreed to because they don't like the facts that he's making them equal to the other workers. See, the landowner, though, he's, he's acted justly. He's, he's made that agreement and he's following through on it. He's keeping his word, what he deemed was the right amount to pay. And in salvation, God makes those decisions. He makes the big decisions. His is the right to choose. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Let's look at some of those other places where we see God in control in the passage. Verse 1, he he owns that that vineyard. Uh, Verse 1 and and later on, he chooses those workers. Verse 2, he's the one who's, who's instigating the contracts, the money with which to pay. He's the one who chooses to pay those workers at the end of the day. And he's the one who chooses to pay the workers what he thinks is best. God has the right to decide what to do with the things that are his. What does this expose in our hearts? Exposes the desire that we want complete control. We want to make key decisions. We want in our salvation to determine what is right. What should the response of those workers who are paid first be? And and therefore, what, what should some of our responses be? Two things. Gratitude and humility. First, gratitude, because we're so blind to the things that we already have that we, we, can't, we crave the things that we don't have. And humility, because ultimately we don't know what's right, do we? How can we tell the God who made us, the creator of this universe, what is right and what is wrong? wrong? Just think for a second. Can you think of a time where you grumbled or complained because you didn't get something in the way that you thought was right? And how could you have expressed gratitude or humility? Just have a think for a second. His is the right to choose. Let's look at the second bit of uh, verse 15. Or are you envious because I am generous? Tipping culture happens a lot in the U.S., more so than, than here. And waiters and waitresses, they, they really rely on these tips to add to their paycheck. And there's a story of this one particular server called Sarah, who was just going about her normal tables, her normal work. And this one table's check came to $61, sort of a fair, fair amount, just an evening's meal. But on, on, this, there's, on this note you can see written, this is God's money. He gave it to us so that we could give it to you. God bless. And with this receipt was a tip of $900. You see, Sarah was pregnant and her husband was injured off work. And this money really helped her to go onto that maternity leave. And there's hundreds and hundreds of stories like this of generous tippers. But let's think about this. Did Sarah really deserve that tip? $900. Did she honestly work and serve those customers to a level where $900 was warranted? 
No, it was sheerly on the sacrificial love and generosity of the customer who was giving that reward. Back to our passage, the landowner is extremely generous. See how he himself goes to find laborers to work in his vineyard. Doesn't organize a messenger to go out and find people. He goes himself. Isn't that what God has done for us? God who came searching after us, just like those workers who were doing nothing. Notice his generosity, paying the last workers a full day's labor. I love that. I love the Lord's attitude there. Isn't that compassionate and gracious? Those laborers can go home able to pay for everything. The bills, getting a meal on the table, uh, the rent, you know, all the things that just need to be paid. And can you see where the message of the gospel just really shines through here? You see, these workers, just like you and me, we were not in that vineyard. We're outside and in God's kingdom because we had sinned and messed up and hated God. And like those workers, we were spending the day aimlessly just walking around, doing nothing, no purpose, ultimately dying. Until God in Christ showed up, lived a life just like ours. And we crucified him. We killed him on a cross. But he laid his own life down and he took his own life back up in control, rising and defeating death in the process, ascending to heaven where he is ruling and reigning at the right hand of God the Father and inviting us to trust him, to come, to join his kingdom, to be filled with his spirit, to do good works, reminding us that one day we will be with him and we will be like him forever. That's his generosity shown towards us in Christ. What does this expose in us? That we in our selfish state are not generous people. And we are envious of other people's stuff and we are envious of the good things that God gives to others. His generous nature painfully grates against the sinful, selfish nature of our hearts. There's some good applications here for Christians living in the kingdom. Just think about how the disciples, Jesus, the one who's teaching this parable to them, how they would have felt when uh, they go out and they're proclaiming the gospel. This is after Jesus has gone to heaven. And suddenly there are those who are turning to Christ, who whilst Jesus was alive on earth, had rejected him and turned him away. Would they be generous? Would they be welcoming them into the kingdom? We too need to be generous with our time, with our words, our actions, and, and yes, even our money. Why? Because that's the character of God the Father we see here, his generosity. Think one day you'll be in heaven and you're going to be dressed in the same white robes as the thief on the cross who repented on that last day and Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. His is the right to choose. This is his generosity. Are you envious that I am generous? That's the Lord's question in verse 15. He's not like us. He is kind. He is compassionate and extremely generous. In Christ, God has shown his lavish generosity. He's given himself. We know the verse so well, John 3.16. For God has so loved the world that he gave himself. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is a completely different kingdom. A kingdom where he chooses and where he is generous. Outrageous grace. Here's a picture of Jürgen Moltmann, who was a, a, a German uh, soldier during World War II, 
obviously Remembrance Sunday today. Uh, he became a, uh, was captured and was a prisoner of war from 1945, so just after the war to 1948, uh, in, and spent that time in, yeah, in a prisoner of war camp. And he had deep shame for what his country had done and, and deep shame of over who he is and what he had done. And during this time when he was a prisoner of war, uh, someone gave him a Bible when he began to read it. And then some Christians came and explained the gospel. And he became a Christian. And he later went on to become a theologian. And his testimony was, I didn't find Christ. Christ found me. I didn't find Christ. Christ found me. Similar story in a way to John Newton, Amazing Grace, that we'll sing a little bit later. And the testimony of the workers that were off that uh, work in the day. This is where we see grace. Outrageous grace. I put that particularly because you can almost imagine that's what the workers are saying. This is outrageous. Yes, outrageous grace, says the Lord. The kingdom of heaven isn't like a landowner who goes out and invites the most able the most skilled workers, and brings them back to work in his vineyard. And then at the end of the day, pays the the hardest working, the one that works the longest, the best. No. The kingdom of heaven is God who goes out to seek those who are aimless, worthless, and ultimately dying, and invites them to be a part of his great kingdom. It's good news. And all those whom he invites, he rewards, but not on the basis of merit, not on the things that we've done or our achievements, but simply on the sheer beauty of his grace and the lavishness of his generosity. And I think there's two verses that that particularly say that well. One's in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, those ones that are poor in spirit, they get it. They get it. They understand it's not what they can do or bring to the table, but realizing they have nothing and therefore are ready to receive from God everything. And Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Or saying it a slightly different way, this is Don Carson. These questions, the one we see in in verse 15, those two questions, show that God's great gifts, simply because they are God's, are distributed, not because they are earned, but because he is gracious. So we see at the end of uh, chapter 19, and, and, and the close of, of this parable here. Uh, the first and the last. That those who spend their lives with an expectation that they can add to their salvation. Those ones, they're far off. They're last. They're just like that rich young ruler that we saw at the beginning. Who goes away sad. Those who just come to God recognizing their needs, their plight. Those ones are close. Those ones are first. Just like those, those weak, dependent little children. It is a completely different kingdom. Where God's, he's the one in charge. He's the right to choose. Where his currency, the value of the kingdom is grace. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it it teaches us 
so many things. And we are thank you, thankful, God, that in here we, we, we learn that your kingdom is just not like our kingdom, the kingdoms that we built up. Rather, your kingdom is based from your, on your, your character, who you are, that you are the sovereign one, you're the one in control, and that you are the one who is generous. And we thank you, God, that in your kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, that you've gone out to seek us, the aimless, the lost, the dying, and brought us into your kingdom by the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. And we're thankful for that. Help us to see your kingdom rightly, God, we pray. Amen.